Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back to the Quick Brain Podcast. I am your host and your brain coach, Jim Quick of Quick Learning, where we help people to learn quickly. And uh, today we are going to talk about uh, the complexities of the human brain uh, that enables us as male, females to foster better communication and ultimately thrive in relationships and our own performance. And so this is an episode you don't want to miss. I encourage you to, to really focus on this one. Uh, we're going to go a little bit into the into the brain. And so I encourage you to take notes. Um, that always helps with the forgetting curve. Uh, we have a very special guest on with us today, uh, a neuroscientist, Dr. Sarah Mackay. Uh, she's a speaker. She's also the founder of Think Brain and the Neuroscience Academy suite of training programs. Sarah is the author of what we're going to talk about today, the Women's Brain Book. Um, this is the Neuroscience of Health, Hormones, and Happiness. She also has a second book called a Baby Brain, which we're going to talk about in another episode. Really the surprising neuroscience of how pregnancy and motherhood sculpt our brains and, and change our minds uh, for the better. And so, Sarah, thanks for being on our show. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted. Yeah, this is a long time coming. Mm. Um, I, know, I know we wanted to do this for, for a minute. Um, you know, when we're talking about the complexities of the, of the human brain, when we're thinking about, when you're thinking about female and male brains, mm. um, we talk a lot about neuroplasticity on the show. And so, uh, do hormones play a role in brain plasticity? Yeah, ab absolutely. So hormones, when you are a little fetus in utero, sort of set up that basic patterning of maleness and, and femaleness, both within bodies, but also within brains. But then as we go through childhood, little girls and little boys' brains sort of develop very, very similarly. Um, it's not until we reach puberty um, when we see sort of the surge of testosterone in males from their testes and the surge of estrogen in females from their ovaries and in females, the establishment of the menstrual cycle, that we sort of start to see this almost re-emergence of, of plasticity in the brain. We know bodies go through puberty, but brains also go through puberty. And these conversations that you may have had previously about the adolescent brain and how that sort of shapes and shifts and grows through the teenage years is triggered and guided largely by sex hormones. Estrogen's really interesting because obviously in females, it cycles monthly. If you're not on the pill, you're not pregnant, you know, all the way from puberty through to menopause. And one of the most interesting aspects of neuroplasticity we've seen, and I'm not sure whether your readers are familiar with the structure of a neuron, and it has dendrites, which are like input receivers. And on each dendrite, we'll have lots of little spines. They're like little buds on a tree branch in spring. And they grow and sort of disappear and flourish and fall away. It's almost like the physical representation of, of, of plasticity. And in females, estrogen causes in some parts of the brain those little buds to kind of flourish and then fall away. So we we literally see neuroplasticity tracking alongside um, hormones, or tracking alongside estrogen, at least in, in, in girls and women. 
Um, and that, that phase of adolescent brain plasticity, both in males and females, is a very, very sensitive phase, a critical period of plasticity where what happens to the brain really, really matters. So as brains go through puberty, they become very, very plastic, very, very sensitive to learning by experience. And in particular, that's learning cognitive skills, precisely the skills that you might learn as you're in high school, which is quite a nice coincidence that as we go through adolescence, we're we are learning, you know, calculus, we're learning physics, we're learning English, we're learning critical reasoning, thinking, all of those higher order cognitive skills. Um, and we're also going through a very sensitive plastic phase of social and emotional development. Again, that window is opened up by these sex hormones. Um, and, and what matters more to a teenager than anything else? I have two teenage boys, so I know it's just belonging. It's having like a herd. It's having a tribe. Teenagers' focus moves away from their family to their friends and belonging and interacting with other people. They become very, very sensitive to that. And that's because the brain is in a very plastic state of, of, of needing to learn by experience from other people. And it's really the hormones of puberty that have opened that window up. Um, and then we see at other points in the lifespan, particularly pregnancy in women, where we get this enormous surge of the hormone estrogen and various other hormones of pregnancy as well. And that puts the brain, the pregnant brain, again, in a real state of plasticity. Um, and really in pregnancy, it's priming the brain, preparing the mind for motherhood and, and for learning to respond to a baby's cues. So, yeah, broadly speaking, we, we see hormones playing an enormously important role in, in brain plasticity. I definitely want to do a follow-up episode so everyone can look forward to um, the episode we do on, uh, on for mothers mm. and, and, you know, parents, uh, you know, and their brains, because everybody has a lot of questions on that. Yeah. As, a, as a recent parent, I, I certainly do. So uh, stay tuned for that, everyone. Um, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it, because if you miss it, you'll miss a lot. Um, so some of the questions our team had prepared were things like, um, how do female and male brains, how are they different? I think when we ask the question, are male and female brains different, we're almost coming at it from a Mars, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So it's sort of versus, males versus females, almost as if we had 100 people in the room and we could open up their skulls and look inside and we would see, you know, half half the brains would be pink for girls and half the brains would be blue for boys. We could almost sex a brain by looking at it in the same way we could sex a human by looking at what's inside their pants. And we, and we can't do that when it comes to brains, just looking at one brain. I like to think of brains being like bodies because essentially the brain is part of the body. And particularly if we look pre-puberty before the sex hormones start to come into play we have little girls and little boys and they've got fingernails and fingers and toes and hair and cute smiling faces and eyeballs with retinas that connect to the visual cortex there are so so many similarities between bodies whether they be male or whether they be female but then again there are some significant but small differences mostly in terms of reproductive function um, once we start then going through puberty and adulthood and we start to gain different experiences in life, we do start to see that male brains and female brains show a few small structural differences that may be driven by experiences of gender. Um, there, was a, there was a recent study that came out about a month ago um, from the journal um, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that looked at how experiences of gender in different countries in the world could shape um, brain structure in, in different ways. 
But this isn't looking at individual brains. This is pulling together data from thousands and thousands and thousands of brain scans and using sophisticated AI and, and deep machine learning to analyze that data. And that was interesting because it showed that in countries with great gender inequality between males and females, female brains were more different than male brains. In countries where there is you know, very little gender inequality, like here in Australia, male brains and female brains are much more similar. But we're not talking about two brains here. We're just talking about broad averages. Um, so, you know, we could look at we could look at this these the, structural differences across the lifespan, and we can we can kind of detect tiny differences later in the lifespan. But certainly early on, you know, brains are, are, are broadly similar. Um, we've we've got these different yeah. experiences that emerge based on our biology, based on you know the, the experiences we have of the outside world. Um, that, that is shaping and sculpting brains, perhaps down slightly different paths. This is a special message and invitation for our students. I want to tell you about a revolutionary, unique, powerful, and proven course to be able to upgrade your learning and your life. So not only can you get better grades, but you can do it in a fraction of the time. For only 15 or 20 minutes a day, for 30 days, I guarantee you, you will be equipped with the best tools, tactics, resources, and strategies to level up your learning. Go to quickbrain.com forward slash student. Use the code podcast15 and you'll get instant enrollment as a thank you for listening to our show. So, so in your in your research of you know as you focus on this, have you come across ways that women and or men can harness the power of of, of this neuroplasticity to overcome challenges? Maybe um, yeah, we talk about a lot about limiting beliefs or anything that would help people <laughs> to tap into more of their performance or yeah, potential. That's a, that's that's a great question because I think when I went into writing my first book in particular, I thought I'm going to be writing a book about the female brain across the lifespan. So it's all going to be about hormones, hormones, hormones. And sex hormones are important, but they're not the only thing. I like to think if you've got a brain in the middle of a, of a you know, in the middle of the world, really, and you've got these biological bottom-up signals the brain is receiving, you've got the outside-in signals from the world, the, you know, the rising and setting of the sun, the lived environment we're in. But very, very importantly, a large swathe of our brain, a large amount of cortical real estate is taken up with processing signals from other people, people's faces, the interactions we have with other people, their emotions. We spend an awful lot of time gauging other people and then we're making meaning of what's going on here. And what I found in my research, whether we were looking at newborn infants who need to attach to a loving caregiver. We were looking at young kids entering puberty and starting to feel self-conscious about how their bodies were changing in relationship to their friends. We're talking about um, parents sort of starting to struggle with feeling isolated at home with a new baby. We're talking about, you know, people in aged care who may have never had a visitor for 10 years. The, the greatest influence on health outcomes and on brain health is other people the social connections, mm. uh, that, that's where the greatest opportunities lie. It's also where the greatest risks lie when we're kind of lonely or when we're socially isolated. And that's very much the strongest predictor of mental health outcomes and the strongest predictor of, of, of aspects of, of brain health 
you know, when we when we look across the lifespan. And I think that that's really good news because it does give us a great deal of agency and understanding that we can, we have this real tendency, especially when we talk about women's health, to blame the hormones when things go wrong um, or to blame our biology or to blame our genes. We can't necessarily do a lot about that, but we know an infant needs a loving caregiver. We know teenagers need to feel like belong to a tribe. We know new parents need social support networks around them more than anything. And that's a stronger determinant um, of the experiences we have, both from a, you know, a neurobiological perspective, but also just from our lived experience than, than anything. And it's very, very clear from the data. It doesn't matter which age we look at it, whether we're zooming in and looking at the sort of synaptic level of, a, of what's happening in the brain, network function, or you know, health outcomes in a population. So it's not just our neurological networks, it's also our social networks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we all went through COVID everywhere in the world. We all knew what it felt like to be socially isolated from others and the mental health outcomes and ramifications of that. And and our brains are wired to connect. So we should, that that should be where our focus lies. So when we're talking about connections with others, Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you have some insights on, you know, scientifically backed uh, ways to, to bridge communication uh, whether it's between uh, genders, uh, fostering uh, healthier, more meaningful connections and relationships? Um, I'm not sure whether, I think neuroscience tells us what's important. It doesn't necessarily always give us a guidebook on how to do that. What I have learned from all of my studies in neuroscience is it also reminds us that we're, ma- <laughs> we're mammals. <laughs> I'll, I'll give the example of, because I've got teenage boys um, at the moment, and I tell you what, male puberty is wild. <laughs> Sometimes feel like I'm a, you know, just watching a science, watching a science documentary. And for me, what the neuroscience and understanding the social brain has given me and understanding is what's sort of typically and 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 healthy and normal. So my oldest son, I've you know, he's sort of 15, coming on 16, going out into the world. He's six foot four, full of bravado. Um, we live on the beaches in Sydney, so he's got a ton of freedom. But, you know, of course, like any, you know, good mum, I've said, anytime you call me, I will come and pick you up on the phone anytime, no matter what. And so what does he do? Calls me from the school bus, which drops him about 800 metres up the road. Mum, I'm really tired. Can you come and pick me up? And I'm like, well, I work from home. I've promised that I'll come and pick you up if you ever call. So I'll drive 800 metres up the, car, the road, pick you up in the car, bring you home. He goes upstairs, takes off his school uniform, comes back downstairs, goes out to the garage, gets a surfboard under his arm, gets on his e-bike and he says, I'm off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, didn't think you had a ton of energy. Do you want me to drive you somewhere? He says, no, 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 I'm going to go and make my mates down at the beach and we'll go for a surf and um, I'll see you later. And, and what, what understanding the social brain has taught me is that the way he is behaving is completely developmentally normal and I should feel very grateful for that because what gives us energy, what motivates us, what drives us, particularly if you're a teenager, is, is the need to belong. So he had no energy, he had no drive, he had no motivation to get off the school bus and come home. But as soon as there were social connections he was to- He suddenly had energy. He had motivation. He had drive. Okay, well, I appreciate mm-hmm. it, Sarah. Everyone, go get the copy of uh, the Women's Brain book, uh, Neuroscience of Health Hormones and Happiness. Um, 
where can uh, people connect with you? Yeah, so my website is probably the, the best place to start, drsarahmackay.com. And, you know, you can follow follow the pages through there to buy my book. If you're in the US, it's available um, on Amazon. And there's also audible versions of my second book only, sadly. But you can, you know, find all that links to my online training programs, blog posts, various podcasts and media, yeah. TV that I have done here in Australia. So um, people will be very welcome. And your social media as well? Yes, yeah, social, media, social um, media. There'll be links through to Instagram where I spend most of my social media time. Um, again, that's Perfect. Dr. Sarah Mackay on Instagram. Perfect. And we will put, oh, as always we do, we put uh, um, your, the amazing show notes for all our listeners and, and viewers at uh, jimquick.com forward slash notes. And so highly recommend it. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it. I would recommend you take a screenshot uh, in whatever platform you're consuming it, whether it's on YouTube uh, or, or Spotify, uh, Pandora, iTunes, uh, you name it, and, uh, and tag us both uh, so we get to see it. Sarah, thank you so much for being on our show. We can't wait to, to do the follow-up uh, to talk about uh, Baby Brain and uh and everyone who's listening, make sure you subscribe. Probably the best place to subscribe is on YouTube. We have uh, over over a million subscribers there. We also put the extended version of these conversations in, in all audio forms. We keep it to 20 minutes or less. Um, but on YouTube, we tend to go a little bit longer. And also, I upload uh, some of our talks and, and other special gems there as well. And if you got extreme value out of this conversation, the best thing you can do is leave a review because uh, your joy stories, people I can relate to, it allows us to help us on our mission to build better, brighter brains. And so, Sarah, thank you again. Thank you, Jim. And everyone who's listening, be limitless. We'll see you soon. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power, it's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You wanna learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag QuickBrain, K-W-I-K Brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. 
I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our Quick Success program. This is our monthly lives that I do, where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your limitless book club where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for one hour and share going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice. Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.